This is Spiritual Directors Talking About Stuff, the podcast where spiritual directors talk about stuff. How do we experience God? How do we evolve in our understanding of faith? How do we expand our picture of God's love? These questions and more will guide our talks. Here are your hosts, Chris Aker and Maggie Schlosser. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Spiritual Directors Talking About Stuff. Today I'm really excited because we have Rachel and Derek Myers with us today. They're a wife and husband duo who are creating a safe space for deconstruction and recovery from church trauma through their social media platform called Your Favorite Heretics. Hey Rachel and Derek, thanks for being with us today. Thank you guys so much for having us, we're excited. I'm really glad y'all came on the show with us today. I've been following your Instagram account since it came out, um, and I know it hasn't been around very long, but already you guys have almost 24,000 followers, which is really amazing. Um, it just shows that you're doing something that's really needed and is sorely lacking in the church. And so I think it's really incredible what you're doing. And I also love that you're really striking evangelical nerve, which is great. <laughs> We've learned to uh, expose a nerve indeed. So, <laughs> Okay, let's start out by hearing a little bit about your stories. Um, I would love to hear kind of the background and, and the process that y'all have been through over the years um, through your deconstruction and, and kind of what led you to start your favorite heretics. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I'll kick it off, I guess. Uh, you know, my, my story, um, you know, I, I grew up in a pretty standard evangelical home, uh, raised basically with a view of God that um, I, I was needing to be this perfect Christian boy who didn't say bad words, didn't look at bad things, had all the right answers to the Bible questions, and basically lived a exterior or an externally moralistic lifestyle that basically made me have this appearance that I had everything together. And to me, what the Christian life was, was a set of um, ritualistic performance based things that was for earning God's approval. And really, that was kind of what set my uh, worldview uh, from a very early age that fundamentally I was flawed, but I had to do all of these things, whether they were spiritual disciplines or whether, you know, it was not doing bad things, whatever that means. And um, yeah, having the appearance of, of just measuring up to a standard so that God would be pleased with me, so he'd be happy with me. Um, and uh yeah that really drove this this desire in me to seek approval and whether it was from from my parents or from my my peers or from god it was just this this constant um i guess this sense that i i needed approval um and i didn't really feel like i i could be accepted for who i was so that's just a long-winded way of saying that I was conditioned to perform from a very young age. And, uh, you know, my view of God was that he was very hard to please. And so, um, 
yeah, as time went on, you know, I got really good at wearing this thick mask and performing well. And when um, I was early on into college uh, and kind of began to uh, go on an 18 inch journey from the head to the heart and really sort of own uh, what a relationship with God looked like um, is when I started to experience like the quote unquote dark night of the soul, if you will. Um, and ironically, it was when I was first going to Bible college where Rachel and I met. Um, but it was in that time where I was starting to be confronted with, with doubt, with questions and does God really exist? But at that time, I was so afraid of the fear and I was not given permission to, to adequately to go through that. Um, I was at a point where I, I really was so driven by this despair and this depression and this fear of, man, what if Jesus were to come back and I was in the middle of this you know, time of, of doubting God's existence, would he send me to hell? And I remember just being so terrified but anyway, I share all that because that was when I think um, flaws in my, my worldview were exposed. And I began on this journey of really discovering who God really is or who I believe God to be. And um, I began to understand God as Abba and having this, this language of, of seeing God as love and not as hard to please, but as someone who is proud and pleased uh, with, with us no matter what. Uh, so this unconditional love, not just in theory, not just in concept, not just a theological concept, but truly this inward experience and this knowing uh, of God. Um, anyway, so I share all that, you know, as time went on, I, I later began to embrace questions. And um, when I became a dad, um, the topic of hell came up. And I remember looking at my son and being like, there's no way anything that he could do would ever, ever make me want to do anything remotely close to what eternal torment suggests. And I began looking into alternative views of hell and uh, the rest is history. So I can unpack more of that, but Rachel's looking at me. Will you please shut up? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Only sometimes, yeah. So was the doctrine of hell your first domino to fall, so to speak, in your deconstruction? I think that when I started having language for deconstruction, um, I think I've been deconstructing for a long, long time. And, and in fact, you know, I was talking to my brother-in-law, who's actually an atheist, um, and we have, you know, we have great philosophical, theological conversations a lot. But he was asking me, you know, I have a hard time explaining deconstruction because I talked to him about all of our stuff that we have going on as well. And, you know, I, I was telling him, uh, I really think that deconstruction is the human experience that in one shape or form, all of us are deconstructing, you know, one thing or another. And uh, I think, you know, it's just made a lot of sense to use that language for people who are leaving the evangelical experience um, or the evangelical world. Um, and so, yeah, I think why... For me, I guess, formally speaking, when I had deconstruction language, hell was the first topic on the table. But um, I think it's important to say that deconstruction is kind of a a framework that it's like you don't realize something is happening until someone gives you the language to understand that it is happening. 
Yeah, we haven't really talked much about this idea of a dark night of the soul and uh, any of the, like St. John of the Cross, any of his theology and whatnot. And um, and I think that, I've actually, I've heard that it's very common for people to go to Bible college or go to seminary and become an atheist, uh, you know, just because <laughs> they all start deconstructing everything because there's so much new theology and whatnot. And I would love to hear a little bit more about um, what a dark night of the soul, first of all, for our listeners, what a dark night of the soul is, how you would describe it and what that was like for you. Um, and if that started any of your deconstruction going through that when you were in Bible college? That's a great question. Um, you know, I, I was actually given that St. John of the Cross work where he talks about the dark night of the soul. And <laughs> I didn't read it, but I, I was familiar with the language and all that stuff. But uh, when I say that, I mean that there's this inescapable, uh, you know, inward sort of darkness that you, you really can't pray away. You can't wish away. You can't. Um... I've heard it described as like the Exodus period of somebody's faith. Like you're just in the wilderness, like lost. And I know for me, when I went through that dark night of the soul, it felt like I had been abandoned. It had, it was just thing after thing after thing that, um, you know, reminded you of like wandering forever, you know, with nothing in sight, nothing. And aimlessness. Yeah. Um, I, that was right around the time that I also discovered my love for songwriting. Um, and, you know, I, I wrote this song um, called Tidal Wave. Um, and it's a lot of this imagery of drowning at sea um, and just being toppled by by wave after wave kind of thing. And imagining Jesus is like this coast guard uh, that comes and just picks me up out of the sea. But that's kind of what I imagine the dark night of the soul to be is like this, you know, you've been capsized by this massive wave on a boat at sea and you know, you're just struggling to, to keep afloat, you know what I mean? And each thought, each, each wave of depression, each wave of your questioning feels like another wave that's trying to make you topple beneath the surface. And so, yeah, I mean, like Rachel explained, it could be like a wandering, but for me, it, it wasn't like uh, anything that I learned at Bible college triggered it. Strangely enough, I was, so growing up in that environment that I did, I think I took a lot for granted. Um, I didn't really have to make much of a conscious decision to um, have so, some form of semblance of a relationship with God. It was just kind of like a given in my household. Um, and I think when, strangely enough, I remember the exact moment I was uh, a volunteer um, middle school ministry leader um, and we were at summer camp and during one of like these worship nights that they put on, I remember just all of a sudden it was like this, this moment where I was like, oh my gosh, what if God doesn't exist? And it, it was such a weird thing because, you know, leaders and students alike were all having these God moments and I was having my own existential crisis and in the verge of a meltdown because I'd never 
doubted the existence of God. I was like, what, what in the world? <laughs> so anyway, that was something that was weird. And I felt like it happened to me more than just like a, you know, I read this scholarly work that made me question everything, which is totally valid. And I know happens for a lot of people. Um, more of that sort of conscious diving in and undoing a lot of things and participating with deconstruction happened later on. Uh, like I said, when I became a dad and started looking into alternative views of health. Gosh, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, I imagine there's so many of our listeners that can connect to that feeling of, I love the the imagery of the tidal wave and um, and just the wandering and all of that. Rachel, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and your story and how you got to uh, being our favorite heretic? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, I'd love to. Uh, so for me, like, could not be more different. <laughs> I think um, you'll, you'll see that's a theme. Yeah, in, in like we're ways. we're incredible. It's just, like it's laughable but we um, love each other very much <laughs> um, so for me um it's it's just different because i wasn't raised with evangelical parents um my mom was catholic growing up kind of converted to just like non-denominational christianity um like in her late teens early 20s and so but my dad my dad's family was roman catholic but like they're super interesting people, um, not for that reason, but just for many other reasons. Um, and he is, he is spiritual, but not like hates organized religion. Um, you grew up more in like with him in a position of, I totally am. You're mansplaining me right now. I don't appreciate it. Gosh. Anyway, let me tell let me tell you about Rachel's life. Yeah. Anyway. My, yeah, so my dad was like more spiritual, but, but not just like wanting us to like find our own path kind of thing. And I, I really do thank him for that. Um, but you know, like when I converted to Christianity, I was like, he kept us from God, you know, but he was like, no, just be a free thinker. You know what I'm saying? Which like, thank you. <laughs> um, but you know, I like really, really struggled in my, uh, early teens, late teens, early twenties. Um, I have mentioned other places I had an eating disorder, um, went to rehab, all that stuff. And so like, was like you were, when I converted to Christianity, it was like the story, you know, of like that Christ radical conversion. conversion. Yeah. Like tattooed atheist who just got out of rehab, converted to Christianity. God can do amazing things, you know? And so it was like, it felt really good. I was like accepted. I, you know, come as you are. And then, you know, for me, my eating disorder just didn't go away. And it became a big burden, um, you know, because like people were bringing demons out of me and telling me that I needed to be delivered and trust God and, you know, all of this stuff. And I was like, oh man, I've been battling this for like 10 years pre-Christianity. It's not just something that goes away, but you know, all this, like, convincing me that uh, Jesus will just heal me. I just, and, like, that really scenario, like, you just need to pray more. But, like, literally, like, when you're in it, it it hurts, and you feel like you're at fault. Like, it is a cliche. Now, like, in deconstruction, in the deconstruction world, I'm like, oh, well, you can just pray about it more, and, like, we make fun of it. But, like, it is so painful in that moment to, like, be struggling with your mental health so bad and, like, have no answer. You know, like, okay, you're told medication, 
is not something in various circles. I know some, you know, some churches are are pro medicine and stuff, but in the more like reformed and fundamental and very literal, you know, rely on Jesus. It's, you know, medication's bad. Therapy is you not trusting God, like rely on all you need. And so like, what was wrong with me? What was wrong with me that I couldn't access that? And it was just like this, like mind screw of, you know, if you have sin in your life, it blocks your prayers to God. So like, it was constantly like cleansing, trying to cleanse who I was to make sure that I looked a lot like Jesus so that Jesus would heal me, you know? And it's so like, it's, it's a catch 22 every time you try and explain deconstruction because you're like, oh, well, you know, I believed this when I was going through that. And you're like, mm, that's not Jesus. That's not what somebody would tell you. Actually, this is what you should believe. And this is Christianity. And it's like, okay, well, I also went through that. And I believe that. No, no, it wasn't right. You didn't do it right. And it's like this constant pressure of like, oh, because you deconstructed and because you're like, you were hurt by the church. And because like, you're bitter of a lot of abuse that happened, like your experience wasn't authentic because you would have stayed in the church if it was, if you had a healthy church, if you had a healthy spirituality, if you had a healthy understanding of the Bible, all of these things, then you wouldn't be where you are. So actually, you know, you didn't actually experience true Christianity. And so it's like, even like in explaining everything, it's like, you also have to combat people saying that to you in a very vulnerable place of sharing your story, you know? And it's like, you can't just sit with, uh, not you, just generally, sorry. But um, a lot of people can't just sit when they're in it with the people who have been abused by the church or had church trauma because it's so like, how do I get around this to like justify what I'm going through? Because you know that they feel pain and hurt as well. It's it, You can't escape the institution as it is today, like unscathed and not be a victim at one point. It's just not possible. And I, it is what it is, you know, very sad. But so they're trying to convince themselves that, no, this is right. This is normal. You're the problem so that they feel better about what they're going through, you know? And so it's almost like saving face for them, but it's also because it's like this culture where they have to like constantly be right and constantly prove that their worldview is correct. And so they can't sit in the uncertainty and something that challenges their worldview. So it's like, sorry, this is like mental gymnastics and like me, like going on this like long monologue as I'm telling my story, because I just know the mindset of when people share their story, how uncomfortable it is because it's challenging because the first inclination when you hear something that rubs up against what you've been taught your whole life is, well, they just didn't experience it correctly. It wasn't true. They fell away from grace. So they were never truly saved. You know, all, oh my gosh. So all of that being said, um, when, you know, the abuse in the church for me finally did happen, um, it was by a very, very close, close mentor who I talked to every single day. Um, and at the time, you know, it's like she had the best intentions for me. And still to this day, like, I believe that. But it was a level of indoctrination that was unhealthy. And, you know, I thought I was doing the right thing. She thought she was doing the right thing. But looking back, it's like she 
like preyed on me to believe what she wanted me to believe. Um, and the thing that it was that kind of burst my bubble for me was the book of revelation. (laughs) Um, I never got raised with the whole like end times hype, you know, left behind, never read the book, never watched the movies, don't really know what it is, you know, (laughs) but it just kind of came down to, you know, this, it was like an existential crisis of we're all going to die and natural disasters are going to happen. And like literally the apocalypse, like this was in 2015 when, um, like, well, the blood moons. And then there was just a lot of, um, uh, unrest in the middle East. Yes. Thank you. And we were literally moving to England, which was like right there. And so I was like terrified. I deleted so much of my social media saying that I was a Christian because I was for sure I was going to be a martyr. Like when I say it was deep, it was like super deep. (laughs) All of that, you know, I for like two years just really struggled in that moment. Like my view of God just burst from this like atheist that turned Christian that just knew the love of God in such a real way to oh god is judgment and is literally gonna like destroy the earth and this is terrifying and what am i gonna do and so it took like all of what i where i thought i was confident in my relationship with god and just like bursted it um and so it's like hard when people tell me that you know i was never saved or that that experience with the experience was untrue for me because how can it not be true you know what I'm saying? Like, how can you define what is truth in somebody else's life and their experiences? Cognitive dissonance. Um, just because it doesn't align with what they believe, you know. Um, anyway, all that to say, uh, yeah, I so for me that's what started my deconstruction was the book of Revelation. And it really just threw me into my Exodus period where I couldn't pick up the Bible without literal like hit in my stomach fear. Um, and I just like needed a clean break in a lot of ways from church, from mentors, from, you know, cause I just felt like the worst person ever because I felt like I wasn't strong enough to go to this loving God that I thought was loving. And I was the problem, you know? And I remember like crying to Derek that I just wanted to go back to being an atheist because like Christianity was just so miserable. Um, and so I started majoring in religion and uh, kind of just to wrap up the, the revelation story, I took a class in apocalyptic literature and that just like healed so much for me um, to be taught by somebody who was literally brilliant and was a Christian himself in a scholarly academic setting um, that was secular and just learning about it from like a historical and literary perspective just opened my eyes to how much deception there is in Western Christianity. And it was just one of those moments where I was like, I cannot just keep my mouth shut. I can't see people who are struggling with the same things, who are being misguided on purpose sometimes because when you go to seminary, you learn all these things. So you're teaching what the institution wants you to teach. So therefore you are not declared a heretic, you know? And so it just became one of those things that was like, 
there is such deep deception. And I just like, I'm an eight. How are you going to hurt me? How? <laughs> I, there's already so much like <laughs> walls and stuff. So, which thankfully my therapist is helping me break down. I'm not saying that's a healthy thing, but you, you know, tear down the walls. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> but it's just, I don't know. Um, for me, that's what really started my deconstruction and, and where I am today. And I am just so happy to be in a place of uncertainty. Um, Cause even today I was thinking about how, you know, the religious elite were so certain on how Jesus was going to come back. And now the Christianity today is just, it, they seem so certain on how Jesus is going to come back. <laughs> and it's just like, you know did we not learn our lesson the first time kind of thing that just kind of like wraps up where I am now just like in a place of uncertainty and like thriving and loving it and like I do not want to go back to certainty call me an agnostic call me an atheist I don't care does not change that I'm just like thriving (laughs) oh I love that you are you're a heretic for being okay with being you know an agnostic or whatever um I but I love that you said that that class on revelation on apocalyptic literature was healing for you. Is there one takeaway from that, that you can, if it's even possible to kind of give us a nugget from that class that was especially healing for you? I think just going through the curriculum, it was like every like moment I was just like, it was like light bulb after light bulb. Um, and I think I had to do a long paper on um, first Enoch. And that kind of was my introduction to like really critically looking at apocalyptic literature, something that was not in the canon, um, but that well, like should have been in the canon, you know? It is in the but, canon depending on what tradition well, you're in. Okay. Anyway. We're splitting here. That's <laughs> um, what I'm here for. It's just <laughs> but I think as far as revolution, I think understanding the genre of apocalyptic literature and just knowing that it's written to people in that time to bring about um, resistance to a domineering government. That's literally what apocalyptic literature is written for, for nonviolent resistance in the face of hegemony. I think when we miss that, we then take away like, oh, this, this and this. And I and it's so beautifully symbolic. And when we look at it, literally, it just, it does start become, becoming frightening. Um, and so, and then also like understanding what imperial cult worship is with revelation will change your view completely because a monotheistic religion can't possibly function in in a society with empirical or imperial cult worship. And especially with someone like Domitian who demanded to the point of like violence because of his like egotistical like high when he became emperor, you know, when he was like in his teens or something like that. Like, of course, you know, he's going to like demand a time and it's going to terrify this like brand new religion who is trying to stand firm in their faith. And they're like literally scared, you know, and a lot of people are like dabbling in imperial cult worship and all this stuff and so it's just like this book where it's just like hey just stand strong like god's got this and like so much language like king of kings and lord of lords in the book of revelation that is what Domitian wanted to be called 
And so it's like, even like little phrases like that are so important to relate back to. I, I, I think it was written in the time of Domitian. That's why I'm saying it so much. Some people believe it's Nero. I think, I think it was after that, but um, yeah. So that's just like the takeaway. Like when you see something in there that like doesn't make sense, it's because it was like made to not make sense, you know, and made to be kind of like, like the number Wait, six you mean, six. you mean it wasn't meant to talk about being chipped by Bill Gates and- No, and, you know, I mean, it's oh. easy to think that. But, <laughs> um, my whole life is a but like even like with the number six six six, like the way that they like had numerical value to their uh, letters is it, it's just different than we do today. And so it, like it made sense to them, does not make sense to us. So we're gonna try to make sense of it in any way possible. But it's just like a very simple explanation that people don't want to grab onto because it's like fun, and I think it gives a lot of people purpose to like overanalyze Revelation. You know, it's like a cool thing. It's, I mean, like an essential oils mom thing. You know what I'm saying? Right? Not to like call it out. <laughs> but the humans are, are drawn to conspiracy because it's that whole Gnostic sort of uh, pull where you want to have special knowledge. You want to feel like you know what other mm-hmm. people don't know and feel like, you know, you're the woke person who has it all figured out and, you know, everyone else is just a bunch of deceived blind sheeple, sheeple. <laughs> yeah you said it uh i didn't actually i didn't say it after you said it. anyway um <laughs> but anyway yeah i i really do think that there's something that is kind of this pull within the human condition or where we want to feel special for what we know and i don't know if that has to do with the ego or what it is but I think that what that's what causes us to read current events into apocalyptic literature, mm-hmm. and um, it's why we have so many people making predictions about when the world's going to end. And guess what? Oh my gosh, no one's been right. Can you believe? It? <laughs> it's so refreshing to hear you say, Rachel, that like you are thriving in uncertainty because. If you were certain, then uh, that kind of, you know, in a way, kind of what Derek was saying, but to thrive in uncertainty when there's something that people like want to be special and know more and be certain in this, but then to take the route of uh, just some more like open handedness, like it's just a, um, there's less pressure on you when you don't have to have all the answers. Yeah, I think why I have landed here is because I see, and and this is a lot, I love Jo Lumen. Um, and a lot of what she talks about is decolonizing. And when you go from, and, and not everybody, but like for me, um, I was feeling myself going from certainty to certainty. And a lot of what decolonizing within Christianity is, is ensuring that you don't continually see yourself as supreme and see your worldview as supreme. And so for me, it's like staying in this uncertain place allows me to continue like hearing people and hearing new worldviews and new ideas and not shutting it down and being open-minded. And that doesn't mean I have to receive everything, but that means that I'm available and I'm open. You know, it's like atonement theory. Who knows? 
And I feel like the more certain you are, it's just the more, the more confusing it gets for me anyway. You know, I think a lot of people land in certainty and that's fine, but just for me, like, how can I be certain? And, and honestly, I think it's, it's less of, so I, I don't think certainty is inherently wrong. I think right. when certainty turns into fundamentalism or dogmatic or mm-hmm. dogmatism is when it becomes dangerous. You can, it's not a bad thing to want certainty about where you land, but it's when you use that as a weapon to keep people away and to create an us versus them mentality yeah. that ends up causing you to use your beliefs, not as a means to extend a hand of fellowship and love, but to push people away and, you know, drive that narrative, like you were saying, of, of elitism or, yeah, I don't know, just it, it propagates more harm and it keeps people feeling like their questions aren't valid or, you know, their perspective doesn't matter. Yeah, it's that's such a stark difference between the, that mentor that you had, Rachel, that was like, and I'm going to pray that you believe the same things. And I'm going to put my opinion on you and just, you know, pray that that God enlightens you, you know, to uh, to believe the same thing as me. And as a spiritual director, I think that it is so much we can give so much more freedom to a person to let them live in the uncertainty and for us to as spiritual directors to uh, be open to that as well. Because if we do become certain, it's possible that we might be like that mentor and uh, rob people of this journey of faith of their own. When you're in it, it feels very special. And it feels like I have the answer and everybody else just needs the answer. And so it's like you almost crave like, oh, I, I believe this because I'm special. You know, um, and that's kind of like the decolonization aspect that when that comes in, you know, um, you're not special because you have beliefs. Everybody has beliefs, you know. The last thing I was just going to say is that when you treat, yeah, deconstruction as kind of a, a means of swinging to the other side of the, the pendulum or, you know, turning it into another form of fundamentalism, you end up undoing everything it was meant to do. You were, you were meant to embrace, like you were saying, the uncertainty to help you explore the freedom in your spirituality. Um, you know, I, I had this thought the other day of, of how Jesus's words, I'm the way, the truth, and the life is often used as a, exclusive statement to i don't know almost be like fear-mongering and 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 people allude at hell with that but i hear jesus's words i'm the way the truth and the life as a framing uh to reality as um a way for people to be included that that jesus is the way and that he is the truth he's the life so any way that people you know, another way to put it, and, and Paul quotes, you know, a, a Greek philosopher, in him we live and move and have our being. And there's this, uh, like, it's like the world is, you know, the bush and God is the flame. Like, we're we're all consumed in the fire of God's presence in the sense of, like, anywhere that you live, anywhere that you move, anywhere that you have your being, it's it's all within 
God, God is the ground of our being. Right. And so, um, anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there because it gives validity to people's experience and their questions and their journey because Jesus doesn't look like one flavor brand of evangelical Christianity. It looks like so much more inclusive love than we ever had a frame of reference to understand. Mm-hmm.